And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Thursday, May 26th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. On this episode, we will explore the piece that Eno had published at The Athletic on Thursday morning. There are no longer hitters counts. We'll dig into why and we'll dig into a way you might be able to take advantage of that with your fantasy teams in the immediate and long-term future. We're going to talk about some struggling hitters who could be drops in shallow leagues, possibly by lows in some cases, try and diagnose a few more issues with guys that are struggling as we move through the end of the second month of the season. Among those players, not someone you would drop, but someone that we're always curious about, Wander Franco kind of wondering where his power has been through the first two months of the season. Um, So lots of ground to cover today. And before the show, I learned that Eno, like many people, does not peel bananas correctly. So I, I I feel an obligation to the listeners of this podcast to bestow... Blew my mind. The occasional nugget of life wisdom. I, I have very few things in my life that I can pass on <laughs> that I, I consider to be valuable knowledge to other people. Like what, what I do is mostly in the useless information department. <laughs> but I imagine that most people listen to this podcast are like Eno prior to today, where they take a banana and they peel from the top where the stem is, where the bananas connect to each other. And oftentimes, as you're kind of breaking that stem, you're bruising the top of the banana, which is unpleasant. The banana's still edible. It's fine. It's just kind of weird to like, bruise the banana the and then eat part it. Off or... And you're wasting the banana and you don't want to do that. My advice, my tip is to take the banana, flip it upside down, and peel it from the bottom. You will bruise the banana considerably less. And even though there's not a little handle, a little pull tab to grab onto, it will peal very easily. So it's that a is de- what I deceptive had. pull tab. You're right. <laughs> yeah, there's no like visual cue there, but I assure you, it will peel very easily. So I'm just happy to offer something for the greater good because I so rarely have something like that that people are unaware of. <laughs> I will. Uh, I, I have a banana upstairs. It's slightly overdue. Hmm. Uh, it might but, peel itself at a certain point. Right, but I, I might uh, might have it with lunch and test your theory. That's a smoothie banana in our house. That's that's what that becomes. Yeah, Overripe bananas into smoothies or um, banana bread. But the problem with banana bread is you need to have like five overripe bananas. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And if you have five overripe bananas, you bought too many bananas. I I think you basically went on vacation and forgot that you bought bananas (laughs) and just forgot to throw them in the car (laughs) as a snack. But uh, (laughs) the uh, the other bit of banana talk, I was going through the Rolling Stone top 500 albums of all time when I was back home in Wisconsin, and my dad likes to have a few cocktails and and turn on music, and he he likes mostly classic rock. Um, So you know Zeppelin to Aerosmith like that era is kind of his mm-hmm. his sweet spot right so we're going through the list and talking about the best albums of all time and of course after a few cocktails he's he's kind of pushing back on the list which I had nothing to do with I was simply the messenger did you know that Aerosmith probably stole uh Stairway from Spirit I did not know that no yeah, this is a there's a band called what is it is it yeah I think the band is called Spirit you should check it out just google it it's Led really Zeppelin close. stole Stairway. Yeah, it's really, really close. Wow. Hmm. Uh, anyway, the banana thing that that uh, was on my mind from from that whole thing was the Velvet Underground and Nico. That album was actually, oh. I think, a top twenty five album, and it was one of the albums uh, high on the list that I'd really never heard anything from, and I started listening to it and was really digging it. So, just throwing that out there too. Again, trying to add some pleasantries to life at a time where we are uh, maybe searching a little harder than usual to find some things to to feel good about. Uh, But we're going to talk about your story because your story was really good. 
And it's really interesting because the way teams uh, attack hitters is just different than it used to be. And it kind of drives at this idea that there are no longer hitters counts. So first off, what led you to dig into this? Was you, were you watching a game? Are you talking to players? And, and like what, what even inspired this? I think it's just, uh, you know, I wrote a piece for Fangraphs a few years ago. Is it like time for you know, the league to go to 70% sliders? And ever since then, I've just been tracking breaking ball usage across the league. And it keeps going up. And the weird part for me is that it keeps going up. But whiff rates on breaking balls keep going up, too. And I think that part of that is pitch design. We're just like, you know, we're leaning really far into sweepers. I talked to Griffin Jacks about his, he has a power sweeper. He's one of the hardest sweepers in the league. And then there's um, there's, a, there's a new pitch probably coming up through the ranks in, uh, I heard maybe the Yankees and Dodgers are investing heavily in a 93 mile an hour gyro slider. And when I say gyro slider, that's a slider that doesn't move when it, if you looked in like StatCast or Brooks Baseball, it would look like kind of a zero zero, um, meaning it's a lot of bullet spin. And um, yeah, it's not straight because straight like means it's not yeah, dropping. It's, it's not. like what a pitch would do with gravity. Mm. So the reason it works, though, is because every other pitch moves, right? It's like the one pitch that doesn't move and everything else moves and then it goes 95. So um, the research on stuff and, you know, suggests that any pitch, any breaking pitch over 85, almost any pitch over 85, it's a breaking pitch uh, is good. And so I think some teams are like, oh, if that's true, let's develop a bunch of like Emmanuel classes, you know, <laughs> let's like have a bunch of guys who throw 93, 95 on our cutters, you know. Uh, so that's happening. And right now at the major league level, the sweepers happening. So I think we're getting better at pitch design. So that's, um, you know, saying slider is not monolith anymore. There's all these like crazy designed up sliders that are, that, um, that are helping the whiff rates stay high. But I think the main thing is, I think maybe more hitters should sit slider because okay. we're getting very close to the amount of um, forcing fastballs equaling the amount of sliders. Sliders are like 24, 25, getting close there. Uh, Four-seamers are all the way down to like sort of 32, 33. If those numbers were equal, I think you could do just as good a job sitting slider as sitting fastball. But the sort of general philosophy in hitting still is hit the fastball. Well, there still seems to be a, a difference, a pretty significant difference between fastball usage among starters and relievers, right? I mean, the most extreme example, the the league should throw 70% sliders. Like Matt Whistler read that story and then became that guy. And now he's throwing even more sliders. He's got a 93.8% slider usage rate right now for the Rays. He's thrown 6.3% four-seamers. It's only a 90-mile-an-hour fastball, so yeah, he probably shouldn't throw it. But I, <laughs> I mean, like that's the extreme short relief example yeah, Whistler was a, was came up a lot. And I talked to Griffin Jacks, who's with the Twins. Whistler was converted into a seventy percent slider guy with the Twins, and they also uh, picked up Sergio Romo. So they they're they're leaning into this whole idea. Yeah, and Matt Whistler once upon a time was a starter. It's really hard to <laughs> hard to believe now. The only the only slider that, the only starter that's anything like that is Jake Junis, who right now I think is still throwing sixty percent sliders, and he's. Uh, quote-unquote starter you know he's kind of that four to five inning 80 pitch kind of starter right the follower that doesn't follow the follow that starts uh, yeah but uh well wait, wait wait a minute wait 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 wait. jake chunis has gone at least five innings in every outing so far this season he's made six appearances he's gone yeah, but five i think he's been really efficient how many pitches it's like 80 pitches still yeah it's still a low pitch count and i'm looking at the the batters faced 16 19 21 24 24 22 a little higher than I would have thought. Yeah. Okay. I thought he was more like in that 16, 17, but um, no. So, uh, but it's working for him. And I talked to him about it and he was just like, Hey, it's my best pitch. Like, why would I pit throw my other ones? And if you look at stuff plus, it's amazing. Like his slider is a one forty stuff plus, And then all of his other pitches are like 80 minus. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. But if you have one pitch, that's that good and you can throw it that often and it's still effective, then keep doing it. I think that's the question. Anytime you have a pitch that gets swings and misses, a really effective pitch, 
use it more, see what happens, use it more, see what happens. Eventually, <laughs> you probably have some diminishing returns. If everything else is used so infrequently or is so ineffective, then eventually that amazing pitch isn't going to get as many whiffs as it did, right? It's not going to be as good as it was because that's what hitters are looking for. So you do have to find that balance. But I think what this suggests to me is that we weren't there yet. We weren't even close to what usage equilibrium we should be at for a lot of pitchers because there was maybe still some some older school thinking or even it was new school thinking fastball. too where it was, yeah, it was established the fastball established the fastball and hit the fastball you see how these things go hand in hand right but then there was also the have this other pitch to throw like if you're a righty have a pitch for lefties that you only throw to lefties well maybe that pitch wasn't very good either because you're only throwing it 10% of the time you're not really working on it that much right mm. and then people know when you're going to throw things too I struggled about this with Brady Singer because the fastball and slider are good, but you know he's had a couple. You know he's had a couple good starts, and it was like, oh, the changeup, the changeup. Well, the changeup doesn't look good. He doesn't locate it well, and it doesn't have good stuff. Hmm. How much does it matter that he has it? Right. Well, maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. Well, then it goes back to a conversation we've had probably a few times on the show where it's like multiple pitches are good generally good but if the third and fourth pitch are truly bad pitches maybe it's not as helpful as if they're just average pitches right there's there's got to be some very likely to be balls i think you know yeah if you can't throw it for a strike you can get guys to chase it what good is it why does rodon not throw his change up he can't control it it's a good pitch he just can't control it so if it's going to be a ball people see see change up they spit on it so i mean i I think you know slider command is a, a big part of this and you know, if you look at the slider command list, um, as I did on Twitter the other day, um, you'll see that there's a lot of kind of like uh, maybe surprising uh, pitchers. I know uh, Kyle Gibson is on it. Um, let me see if I can pull this up real quick. Uh, here it is. Tyler Wells is number one. Of course, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Pitching Plus. <laughs> the, the, the rates and barrels uh he's our he's our mascot uh mm. jameson tyon second justin verlander keegan aiken uh fourth anthony bass kyle gibson logan gilbert drew rasmussen garrett cole and will crow uh who by the way um really interesting pickup for holds out of your starting pitching slot that's like relevant to four people listening. Very specific. But <laughs> glad we could help four of you. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, but then the, the flip side, though, I think is hitters that are good at hitting the slider are in more demand this year and uh, generally have a lower strikeout rate and are really good. So let's let's look at just uh, this is pitch type values. Which what would you rather I do? I, I can do pitch type values. I'll do both. But pitch type values first. This is uh, the the best hitters against sliders this year by pitch type value. So that's summing up everything that happens on those whiffs, takes for for balls and homers, whatever. Number one, Paul Goldschmidt. Number two is Austin Riley, who once told me that he felt in between fastballs and sliders. So uh, very interesting. His work against fastballs is not amazing. It's about league average. So I think maybe he just leaned in and said, hey, I'm going to demolish sliders and do, you know, fight off fastballs, basically. But Goldschmidt, Judge, Stanton, Harper, they're on this list because they do both. Uh, But Jazz Chisholm, uh, way better against sliders. He's fifth against sliders in the league uh, than he is against fastballs. Austin Hayes took a big step this year. He's sixth against sliders. Uh, Michael Brantley is eighth against sliders and has a negative value against fastballs. And I do think that you have to kind of look at these in tandem because Nico Horner is 12th against sliders and has a negative work against fastballs. Austin Meadows is 14th against sliders and has a negative value against fastballs. I think if you're doing that, that that might be evidence of, of sitting slider and it not working for you to some extent, right? And so that's why I wanted to uh, look at Wander Franco real quick, because, you know, what we when we see Wander Franco, we see like an OK, like still good raw power, uh, you know, maybe where's the launch angle, where are the barrels, is he going to be a good but not great player? Um, and so I wanted to throw up some visuals here for you on YouTube, and I'll describe it for the podcast. This is Wander Franco as a lefty against sliders. You see how he pulls 
almost everything. There's nothing nothing to left field. It's center and right. Uh, and it looks like a decent approach, except you might notice not that many homers. You know? Uh, now let's look at his fastball heat map as a left-hander. Well, that's a lot of pushing for fastballs. Yes, he's pulled some balls on the ground there, and he has two homers. But look how much there is in left field. So I think he's got an approach where he's like trying to be early on, you know, trying to get the slider out front, you know, and hit that for home runs and then fight off the fastball a little bit, let the fastball travel a little bit. And it's an okay, it's a good approach for contact, which he's amazing at, right? It's a good approach for batting average. Um, It's not an amazing approach for power, as you can tell. Two, Two pulled fastballs there for homers. Is what I'm I'm guessing. I mean, you, when you're looking at heat maps, you're kind of guessing, but the blue looks like it's. I would say that's two, um, and uh, and so that's uh, that's the kind of push and pull where like, you know, using this for analysis is, is tough. But I think that generally, hitters that can uh, that can do something with sliders are are. It's a little bit like command with pitchers. It's like, oh, I like them a little bit better. You know, there's only going to be more every year. We get more sliders. If you're good at sliders, you're at least doing something that every year there's going to be more of. You know? Yeah, I guess the the natural question I have is when you you're looking at two months worth of games or a little less than that. And you see someone who is thriving or at the other end, maybe struggling in a big way against sliders or any one pitch. Do you still have the. This is a very small sample sort of thing, or, or is it is it quick to be something that is stable? Here's a there's a name for you that's perfect for what you just asked. Eric Hosmer. Eric Hosmer right now is 15th in the league against sliders. He has uh, over his career not been great against sliders, and I think that his early, uh, you know, and and hitters will very rarely admit something like this. It's too like their approach. Like they, it's too like oh he just said in this article he's sitting sliders. Okay, well let's fill him up with fastballs. You know what I mean? Like it's too it's too much. But if I had to guess, I would say Eric Hosmer was sitting slider a little bit more early this season. Uh, especially, you can tell he was swinging at, at inner half, uh, inner half pitches. I bet you right-handers trying to back foot him on the slider. He just started looking for that. He's like anything that's off of my back foot on the inside is you know in the zone. I'm gonna turn and burn. And I think it it did well for him. But over the course of the season, we're seeing him slow down. Maybe they back, they bury that that slider more, or they start uh, throwing backdoor sliders on the outside, you know, and trying to get him to swing or, or or take those for called strikes. So, you know, I did do one. It was a multiple year one, and now if you do a multiple year one, it really just is the best hitters in baseball. Number one, Jordan Alvarez. Number two, Bryce Harper. Number three, J.D. Martinez. Number four, John Carlos Stanton. Number five, Taylor Ward. Small sample in the group. Number six, Manny Machado. Number seven, Freddie Freeman. Number eight, Austin Riley. Number nine, Ronald Acuna. Number 10, Jazz Chisholm. If I was going to give you any surprises off this list, uh, Josh Bell at 11. Uh, Jesus Aguilar at 15. Goldie still there at 16. Not a surprise. Austin Meadows. But he's also the first, the only one of the top 20 that has a negative fastball value. So it is fair to wonder if Austin Meadows needs a new approach. But Wander's there in the top 20. Austin Hayes is there in the top 25. Um, you know, th- I think these are good things for those players. I think I like Austin Hayes more now that I've read this. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This actually worked out exceptionally well. Sometimes things 
just flow perfectly. But we're talking about struggling bats on this episode, too. And I just noticed Lourdes Gurriel Jr. has been good against sliders. I'm looking at a multi-year leaderboard going back mm. to 2019. He's been very good against sliders, but has a negative run value against fastballs. He's among the struggling bats that you'd be looking at right now in a 8 or 10 team league, especially, and, and saying, what do I do here? Or if you're in a, a slightly deeper league, do you, do you trade for him? Do you reserve him? How, how do you handle Guriel, like how much of a flaw do you think it is in a, in a multi-year view to see, yeah, you thrive in this one area, but you're actually below average. I mean, among good hitters especially, be, like being negative really stands out against fastballs because the truly great hitters are going to be excellent against fastballs. So if you're not yeah. even just decent against them, you're very different than those players, even though you might be as good against sliders as those elite players are. Yeah, I think it's the Meadows problem, too. And, you know, the two of them, I think, are fascinating because, you know, they're not of an age where collapse is what you'd expect. Uh, their strikeout rates are are good and have been better the last couple of years. Um, but their power is gone. And you look at that, you look at that fastball value and you just say, they're... they're they're, maybe they're sitting slider and maybe it's good for their 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 strikeout rate, but it's not hasn't been good for their power. And um, you know, I'm kind of I as much as I've said that I like guys that uh, hit the fastball well uh, in this in these two cases. I mean, in the slider well in these two cases, I think it's it's gone too far. And you you look at the barrel rates they've got, um, and you look at their 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 what looks like slider centric approach, and you say. In this case, it's not working out, and I don't know if I'm in on either of them. You know, I don't know if I want to buy low on either of them. The I think the baseline projection for uh, both of them has a good batting average in it, but I, I I wouldn't believe the power much. You know, there's some projections for Lourdes Goriel that have 15 homers. I believe the one that has 12 homers is another thing I'm saying. You know, so now you're talking about a 260 hitter with 12 homers on Meadows. Uh, there's some projections that have him with 18 more homers. And that's totally fair because he's had a 33 and he had a 27 last year. With that barrel rate he has right now, with the slider approach he has right now, I'm going to believe the projections that say he has 12 more homers in him. So both of these guys are guys that, like, listen, if you can get them for almost free because they'll they'll probably hit 250, 260 uh, with 12 homers and a couple stolen bases, if that's, you know, in a deep league, you know, if somebody's like, you know, going to hand them to you, then then do it, because th- I think they'll both play. I don't know about the injury with Meadows right now, but, you know, it's a, I think it's a decent time to pick them up in deep leagues because that'll play in deep leagues. But anything, even in a 15 team league, 260, 12 and three is that's uh, I don't even like that's th- I, I, that's like a streamer bat, right? Like it's if rough, you're in time, like 15 team NFBC, like. That's not something you want in your lineup every day. That's like, oh, he's in Colorado or something. <laughs> like, yeah. I think it's it's kind of interesting, too. We've talked a lot about Joey Votto on the last few episodes. He was our player spotlight on the 3-0 show that went up on Thursday. And, it, you know, it's something that comes back a lot when we're talking about projections that guys after age 33, I think, is where the, the cutoff mm-hmm. tends to be, is where the projections start to get wobbly. And with Votto, on the last few episodes, the recurring theme has been, but he's Joey Votto. It's very, it's very soft, right? We've seen him make adjustments. We know, we know what kind of hitter he is. At the other end, and this guy's not on the wrong side of 33 yet, I was thinking of Javier Baez as an example of a player that, you know, describe a player with the opposite approach of Joey Votto. Well, Javier Baez or Jorge Alfaro, guys that strike out a lot, that don't walk, they would be the kinds of players that I would say are kind of at the opposite end of, of how they try to go up there and, and do damage. All the things we would say about Votto and being comfortable with him, I would feel and say the opposite about Baez when things are going wrong. He's hitting 201. He's got three homers, 10 runs scored, 12 RBIs so far this season, and no stolen bases yet. And part of it might be just adjusting to a new environment, switching to a new league. We talk about this all the time with players that sign big contracts, just trying to earn every dollar with every swing, chasing Highest more pitches. chase rate of his career right now. Not a surprise to see that. That's that's normal for players that are in a situation like this. But I think it is more difficult for me to talk myself into the correction happening just because of of the way Bias has been good in the past. Like the way he's got there has always seemed problematic in the long run. So 
is this going too far though? Is this is this saying is it taking the soft sciences and, and kind of just making them say what we want or, or choosing to react however we want? Well, I just I think generally in sort of dynasty long term settings, this was I think the worst uh, contract of the off season, and uh, and the fact I've talked about this before that you know the the contact on outside uh, on, on pitches outside the zone ages terribly and um and when it falls off the cliff it really falls off the cliff so if you're a, a guy who swings at half the pitches outside the zone um and then you know i think i, I ran the numbers and like slugging percentage on pitches outside the zone it starts with a two uh and, and slugging percentage on pitches inside the zone starts with like a four or five you know it's like that come on checks man. out like, yes that's yeah. a, a much more hittable cluster of pitches sure yeah so uh this is not somebody i would bet on long term the only thing that, that that yeah and 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 lo and behold his uh you know zone his out of zone contact rate is the worst it's been since rookie season a fairly big drop off and he's reaching a lot outside the zone and this is the kind of stuff you would see um from other people who've collapsed early like josh hamilton pablo sandoval um, who had similar approaches. On the other hand, he is still 29, and he is the streakiest mofo I've ever seen. And if you look at his past f- uh, six seasons, the only one where he didn't get to an okay number at the end of the season, like a pretty decent one for fantasy, was the one where he didn't get a full season. You know, like right. 2020. So, like, I I don't have any shares I don't think I would have the fortitude, uh, the intestinal fortitude to trade for Javi Baez right now because he doesn't line up with my belief system. <laughs> you know, like just doesn't do the things I want my hitters to do. But I, I can't I can't say that he, you know, like the projections are for 17 homers, 10 stolen bases, 250 average. Like that's that's valuable. And if you can get him, I, I you know how I see him? A Hail Mary. I think he's a Hail Mary. You're in ninth place right now. It's not a keeper league. You don't worry about next year. Right. Javi Baez is like, well, I'm screwed either way, and somebody's going to give me Javi Baez. He's had these troughs below, but actually this is one of those worst. But, you know, look at the other season. 2020, he just didn't have that a big peak to set it off. Look at 2018. Fairly big trough, you know, the beginning of the season. Hot second half. Look at 2021. Not, you know, fairly big trough early in the season. Look at him go off. Yeah, and if you want to see the visual, I pulled up his rolling WOBA for f- every 15 games over on Fangraphs. If you're listening and you're like, what what are they describing? See it on YouTube or you can just pull it up yourself. And I, I think, it again, we've talked about this maybe three or four weeks ago. Uh, it's a good way to visualize what might be within the range of normal for a player. Because mm-hmm. anytime we go through a month or two months when a player is significantly over or underperforming usually when it's underperforming we start to think the sky is falling it's broken the player's not coming back and you look at the chart and you go oh actually no this has happened before we're not at an all-time low we haven't reached a, a new bottom and and that's probably the case here it's for volatile players and volatility has tried to strike out rate he's a high strikeout guy so he's just going to be a volatile player and so the big the tops and the bottoms are just going to be further apart you sent me a, a link before we started recording, too. It was, I believe, strike percentage on sliders. Is that what the search you ran uh, over at Savant? This is, yeah, swinging strike percentage on, on sliders uh, for hitters. And this, I think, is a little bit more useful in a one-year format than because it's not how many balls bounce in the right direction and, and stuff like that. It's also less useful in other ways because Adam Frazier is uh, third in baseball at swinging strike percentage on, on sliders and I mean, you could have guessed that. He's probably third in most pitches, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, and not surprisingly, we're talking about 282 players on this list. Javier Baez, third from the bottom, 35.2%. So oh, among, among the absolute oh worst. Lord. Joey Votto, not far away, right? Two very different approaches and yet a similar <laughs> problem. It's kind, of, it's kind of funny like that. Yes, but the age difference is meaningful here. Yeah, no, I'm... I'm just yeah. just point it out that Votto is at 273, 28.2%. But if you if you want some hope for Mitch Garver, he's seventh in 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 slider contact rate. Uh Jerickson Profar is tenth. Jesse Winker is still eleventh in slider contact rate. 
So, uh, you know, other guys that, you, that we've been talking about, Eric Hosmer is sixth, Manny Machado is 14th, um, you know, Goldschmidt is 17th, uh, Taylor Ward. Taylor Ward uh, was really interesting. I talked to him, and he's got that that new uh, approach that's working so well right now uh, that's a response kind of to the way pitchers are pitching. So if you target the high fastball and you create a swing that can hit the high fastball, uh, the low slider, I've talked about this with Adrian Braltrae, the low slider looks like crap. Uh, and so you, you're basically set because you can, it's easier for you to spit on the low slider and you can hit the high fastball. Taylor Ward also makes good contact with sliders. That's why he's so white hot right now. He can make good contact with the slider, and then if you give him a high fastball, he can spank it. So uh, it took him a while to get here. Maybe the league actually had to change to make his approach work better, if you think about it, you know? Um, but I also wonder... How long it'll last? Mark Canna's like this. Marcus Simeon uh, was like this last year. Is is it something that's exploitable after a while? People start throwing you high sliders. People start filling up the bottom of the zone. I'm wondering with Marcus Simeon what you do in a shadow league right now. I mean, in a again eight or ten team league, which people do play in. Like I know we don't focus on them a lot during draft season. We are in a ten team league. We are in a ten team league. I think I have Simeon. And I think in a league like that, where you've got IL spots and I think it's five player benches, okay, you could hold them on the bench for a while. Like you the, bench the, them a little bit. The point of the bench is to hold the player that you don't want to drop, Play. and then to then mix and match <laughs> your pitchers as much as you possibly can. So whether it's a player like Simeon, an early round pick who's struggling, or that early in the season maybe a prospect you're waiting on, you can you can burn a spot for something. This would be a good in season use of a bench spot. I guess I'm wondering if you've seen anything in the last couple of weeks that makes you think that Simeon is starting to work his way out of these early season struggles. One thing that's really notable is his lack of fly balls this year. And, um, you know, what's really interesting is that, you know, over the course of last season, he started hitting more and more fly balls, and it was pretty good for his for his overall product, project, production if you kind of look at the rolling graphs of fan graphs. And so then this season, he came in with that fly ball approach early in the season and cratered, you know. So I will say he has changed his approach because his fly ball rate is now down. So what I'm guessing is, you know, what fly balls are, are they're the result of two things, right? Your, your swing mechanics, but also the pitches you're swinging at. High pitches go for fly balls and low pitches go for uh, for ground balls. My guess is that they filled up the bottom of the zone against Marcus Simeon. You know, and so now he's like trying to show them that he can he can fend it off and he can do something with it. So my guess is that what will return first is the batting average, right? He's swinging at lower pitches. He's going to start driving those lower pitches at some point. And he's going to try and force the pitchers to go back up in the in, at the top of the zone. So if he starts uh, stringing together some hits, I think that is uh, what you what you start to look at. If you look at uh, you know the last seven games, uh, he's got ten hits. I think that's I think that's the beginning. You know, and so the batting average comes up, but what that means for his power is not good news. Uh, you know, there's Zips has him for 20, Bat has him for 17. I'll take the 17. It, it is weird, too, because I know someone has pointed Homer's this out way. in the email before. It's just that what Simeon did last year, a lot of people chalk it up to Dunedin and the way the Jays' season was strange playing in that park and then going back to Toronto. But his splits, at least in terms of home runs, don't really back that up. And to see this much of a collapse this quickly, I think it's really surprising because he didn't strike me as a guy that had a, a bad approach or an approach that could be quickly and easily exploited. I mean, so you're you're saying 17 home runs the rest of the way, and you're probably on the underside of that. No, I, I mean I'll take it. I, I okay, think, I think he can get there. I think it'll be like you know the average creeps up, the average creeps up, and then some pitchers like man, you know he's he's killing me on these singles and doubles. You know, let me try and sneak some cheese by him up top, and then he can use his old approach. The big difference was that, as he told me at the All-Star game, um, was that sometime in 2019, uh, he discovered that if he targeted the top half of the ball, which is not what 
what hitters normally do. If he if he targeted the top half of the ball on on four seamers, he could hit the the high fastball, and he he, he discovered against the world as Chapman of all people. And so what you see in 2019, 2020, and 2021 is the fly ball rate go up, the pull rate go up, the home run rate go up. Um, I just think it got to the point where he really liked he really liked that approach. It was really working well for him, and pitchers were like, "Okay, we just we can't throw him high fastballs anymore." If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation all through a barely-there poke-hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be a foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely, minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash theathletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. Let's get to a few other players that have underperformed in a big way. Robbie Grossman is one that I think some people looked at as a possible cheap 2020 guy where he was going again. Still looking for his first homer through 36 games entering play on Thursday. A 30.6% K rate so far, an awful 189, 306, 227 line. Grossman does have a couple of steals so far. But this is another guy, you look at the profile, even if you don't want to buy in as a 2020 guy, if you said, yeah, 12 to 15 homers and a healthy number of steals and plenty of playing time with a good spot atop an improving lineup, I think it was easy to talk yourself into Grossman, at least as sort of a, a low average, does everything else sort of well player back during draft season it has not been the case so far you know it's funny I, I i did draft him in a couple places hoping for about 240 15 15 and if you even the most pessimistic of the projections right now um would have him basically hitting 235 240 going forward um and ending the season with nine or ten homers and 10 to 12 stolen bases so i you know you could just Hold tight. And an ale only, what are you going to do? You're going to hold tight. He's still playing. But when it starts getting to 15 teamers where I have him on the bench, I've been I've been I've been nursing him on the bench, and I I think this is the week I'm going to drop him. I I I don't want to play him anymore. And he's in that age range, you know, 32, 33 is when those those projections become, you know, a little bit less meaningful. The strikeout rate is bad, the swing strike rate is bad, his chase rate is not bad for the league, but it's his second worst of his career. Uh, his barrel rate is down back almost to where he was when he had no power. Um, and so I just, uh, how much do I want eight more steals? Like, I don't even know if I believe 10 more steals the rest of the season, right? We're almost through a third of the season. He has two, two steals. Has he even attempted more? No, he's attempted two steals. That's fairly sticky. So I think he might end the season with five homers and six stolen bases. Even if he gets to 10 homers and six stolen bases, do I want the 230 average and 10 homers and six stolen bases? Like, I think the number of leagues you want that in is getting very small. 
no, I think the question with Grossman is just still like how much is the gap between his ability as a real player and as a fantasy player? You know, the, the OBP versus average thing changes a lot. If you were trying to find a, a struggling outfielder to buy low on to trade for in a deep league, I could sort of see it if you're in an OBP situation. In an average situation, I think that's just been a clear flaw of his for a while. Then, But he's also not a good defensive outfielder. So Right, and I think that limits his trade appeal too. So the idea of him going to a better team, which I thought was going to happen a year ago. I thought Robbie Grossman <laughs> was a shoe-in to get traded to a contender and be the... I mean, he's clear cheap. third outfielder or the the he could good be a fourth, fourth outfielder. outfielder. Yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a switch hitter though, so it's not. You know, it's funny. Uh, you know, there were some. Uh, there was, you know, so the Jed Lowry was in this offseason, right? And Darren Ruff, right? The Giants re-signed Darren Ruff, who has less defensive value than Jed Lowry, right? But he's yeah. a right-handed hitter, who damages who can do damage against left-handed hitters so he has a very useful use right like oh this is when we would use him against lefties i mean he's being used a little bit more than that but that's that's i think he was predictable in how you would use him and good at this one thing now grossman is more of a meh at a lot of things right so that's a little bit weird to have as a fourth outfielder i guess I mean, you do want to put him in center, so he's not a defensive backup, and he's a switch hitter, so how much can you believe his his splits and be like, oh, we'll use him against lefties, or we'll use him against righties? So, in a way, he he's like a little bit like Jed Lowry, isn't he? I mean, he's actually a lot like Jed Lowry. Yeah, I think... With less power, even. Similar limitations. I'm, I'm surprised, though, just because I thought he was a high-floor player. I mean, he's yeah. 32, so yeah, age might be part of the factor here, and he'll be 33 before the season ends, it turned 33 in September, but uh, I I didn't get him, not because I thought he was bad, but just because I I saw a little more of what you saw, low average, 15-15, kind of being the high side, and then maybe less power being part of, of what he would bring. So curious to see if any team is interested and in, in takes, a, takes a shot, but I think it has to be the right fit. It has to be a team that actually has a good backup center fielder. Maybe they've got a utility guy that can play center field, and Grossman can be the two corners plus DH if they don't have a couple DH clogs already in place. We talked a lot about Trent Grisham, so we're not going to bring him up again, but Nelson Cruz sort of came up in passing on the 3-0 show and looking at his line, 227, 298, 325 so far. Actually pretty good roto numbers despite the line. Four homers, 19 runs, 23 RBIs and a steal. You'd actually be okay with that to this point, but I think it would lead you to questions about what comes next? Like, is this finally the end for Nelson Cruz? Do you know, you were just saying, like, uh, have you, uh, you know, it is something within the realm of, of, of normalcy for the, for a player, right? We were just talking about rolling graphs and using that. So mm-hmm. I was pulling out, I was like, wow, that's a pretty big ground ball rate for Nelson Cruz. Uh, he was nowhere near this in 2021. Never, never near this. He's had two, you know, sort of 10, five, 10 game stretches of being rolling at 60% ground balls this year. Last year, the, the, he, he never was over 50. Now I'm going to, I'm going to move the nice thing about this uh, rolling graph is I can, I can push it out further. So I'm going to push it out to 2018 and I bet you it's still going to be the highest ground ball rate he's shown. Okay. Back in 2018, he had a moment. I was like that. Was it a bad year? Yeah, I mean, there was a 37 home run season. It was his last season in Seattle. 256, 342, 509, 37 homers. I will say that 2018, the ball was different. His barrel rate was different. His max EV was different. So, you know, if you put him 2018 in this year uh, and then gave him this year's barrel rate, you know what I mean? Like, I'm... I still think it's a bad sign that the barrel rate is down, the max EV is down, the ground ball rate is up. It's it it doesn't look good to me across the board. And then you've got the age, forty one. Would you have dropped him already, or would you drop him now in some of those shallow leagues that we're talking about? There's also like a risk reward proposition, right? It's like with with Grossman, the reward, the potential reward is lower. I would say, you comparatively, know? yes. So. I would probably be nursing 
him on the bench as I have been in these 15 team leagues with Grossman. I'd probably be nursing him on the bench a little bit longer. Um, but as I'm finally getting to the point where I've been getting, begun dropping Grossman, where you know, I have two or three shares of him, if I had more shares of Cruz, um, I, I'd be about a week or two away. I mean, I don't know what I'm waiting for. From a, a, a broader graph perspective, too, the ground ball rate is still up. From a broader trade perspective and thinking about the humidor and the ball and things that we're always wondering about, thinking about Nationals Park in D.C. and one of the more hot, humid, hitter-friendly environments in the league, especially as the weather warms up, I wonder if we're going to see a big fluctuation mm. there. Kind of the opposite of what we've seen in Oakland, right? The the damp basement playing even more soggy than usual in Oakland early in the season. Maybe we get Nationals Park to be among the parks that is even more lively than usual because of the humidor and, and ball interaction that we're going to see. And we're going to see massive summers from the four or five hitters in this lineup that have been, well, Josh Bell's been good, but even Juan Soto hasn't quite been himself. Cruz is obviously underperformed. I wonder if we're going to get a turnaround from a few of these bats just because of the ball being different as this weather pattern kind of changes. Yeah, I wonder if there's, I mean, I think, uh, I think I'd feel like pretty confident buying Kybert Ruiz, you know? Puts a ton of balls in play. It puts so many balls in play. And if he did get, you know, another 80 points of ISO and he could maybe finish the season with like, you know, seven or eight more homers, even that seems, you know, kind of impossible to say about a guy who has one homer. I think, you know, that you could do that. You just rattle off a, a month with three or four, you know? Um, and uh, I could, I would totally buy Bell. Um, and I think it's possible to buy Bell because the ISO is down and the homer rate, you know, that's not great. And, you know, people, maybe some people are looking at the average, maybe some people are looking at the homers and saying, saying no thanks. So, um, I think Yadiel Hernandez is a, is a decent buy high. Um, so yeah, I would say that about most of those guys in that, in that, in that lineup that I would do it. And Nelson Cruz, just the, it's the age, man. What do you think about Lane Thomas? Yeah, we got a question about Lane Thomas recently. I don't have the email in front of me, so I can't thank the person that sent it. But I was just watching him in that series. Uh, the Brewers caught the Nationals recently, and Thomas played pretty well in that series. O-swing is still pretty good at 25.8%. And for the season, the K-rate is still up compared to where it was a season ago. Uh, he struggled not... with that a little bit back and forth. Yeah, I, I wonder how much of this has just been the, the strange shape of, of his playing time. You know, he hasn't played as much as I would have thought. It's been a little more in and out of the lineup earlier in the season. All that being said, what are they going to do instead of playing Lane Thomas? It's kind of like your Hernandez argument where it's like, are are these players tradable? Are they likely to get moved as the Nationals move some players at the deadline? No. So, I mean, they picked him up on like a, a waiver claim, right? Or was it? It was a small, small, deal. small deal. I think with the Cardinals, but yeah. I, I'm I'm kind of in for deeper leagues, like 15 team leagues and deeper. I don't. Th- it, it's kind of similar to the Grossman profile for me, where I'm not sure we're going to get a good batting average, but the OBP is good enough for him to end up in a decent spot in the lineup. And then you've got this combination of, of power and speed that can be intriguing when the playing time gets high enough. So I it see is more really good than weird. Bad. To see that low of a chase rate and that low of a walk rate, it it suggests to me that he's you know basically taking the wrong pitches. You know, like there's that there's some approach thing that could click for him. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, sit slider or something. <laughs> Still got the hard hit rate up over forty percent, which I think for a deeper league especially is is good enough. So limited in terms of the number of leagues where I'm interested, but um. I'm kind of patient with him in some of those spots. Could be like a, uh, an only league by though, yeah. Yeah, good player to trade for in NL only league, especially. Again, helping four more people. That's why we talked about bananas at the beginning of the show. Because <laughs> more than eight people know. listening eat bananas. <laughs> Fairly confident in that. Uh, how about one more positive one as we kind of look at more of these struggling hitters that I think at least is a good idea to go after right now. Yasmani Grandal. The overall line Ooh. is just light across the board. The plate skills are intact. We've got some friction here. I like it. I'm the not White sure Sox, I agree man, they're going to hit. They're going to score runs. They're, yeah. There's going to be some some rebound in this offense as a whole, and Grandal, I think, is going to be a big part of it. I'm just worried. With, there's a sort of the Grossman thing. Is the reward worth it? Because you know he is a lifetime 238 hitter. The projections are for 220. You know, 
yeah, maybe you can get 13, 14 more homers. It's going to come with a 220 average. I'm I'm dealing with this right now in my 12-team keeper league. I've been trying to trade MJ Melendez, and no one's taken him. Uh, I've got Yasmani Grandal as my starter. It's an OPS league, so, you know, there is there is that. And I do think Grandal it will give me a good OPS. But it's it's average and OPS. And some part of me says, you know, just drop Grandal in this 12-team keeper league. He's older. It's not good. The batting average is always going to be a sink on you. And keep the young guy who could be good, you know? I'm not telling you to get rid of Melendez because he hits the ball very hard and can carve out a larger role. But I think with Grandal, he's still controlling the zone really well. K-rate is actually at a career best at 19.9%. Not surprisingly, chase rate is still good. Barrel rate's not horrible at 7.8%. It's low for him, but it's low within his Ground range. Ball rate is up and barrel rate is down, you know? I don't know. And the max EV is down, too. I think it's just an adjustment. I think it's an adjustment before he gets back to being the grand doll. I mean, look in the second half of last year with a bad knee, no less. He was true. rushing the ball. What if he's just hiding an injury? I mean, that's, that's another thing I worry about with catchers. Yeah, I guess the other thing, though, you mentioned the average. We talked about Gary Sanchez on our last episode. The yeah. threshold... For average right now, it's as low as it's ever been. I'm not mm. worried about that 220, 230 risk. Yes, let's let's have a, a breathless league batting average update. 237. Ah, <laughs> oh, I mean, I mentioned Juan Soto <laughs> struggling uh, just because I and, and again, it's, it's all relative. WRC plus wise is 33 percent better than league average. Juan Soto is hitting 236 this season. The baseball is completely. <laughs> This is a career 295 hitter hitting 236 while walking more than he strikes out. He's still Juan Soto in so many ways, and yet he's hitting 236 because the baseball is an orange in a sock that has gone through the washing machine. (laughs) Uh, The ISO is up to 149 over the league. ISO is up to 149 over the last 30 days. Um, it was for the full season, it was 144. So it's, it's creeping forward. Jeez. Uh, maybe you've convinced me. I don't know. I'm, I'm very convincing, at least with fruit related <laughs> things. All right. Let's move on from struggling bats. Let's talk about Jeffrey Springs for a moment. There was a request in the YouTube comments to discuss him. And I think it's, it's really easy when a, a new Ray emerges and it's someone that you kind of expected to be working more out of the pen. You just have this sort of reflexive, nah, okay, I don't really need to worry about him. The workload's not going to be that good. Results have been great so far. He's got a 132 ERA, a .80 whip, 27 Ks in 27 and a third innings. Uh, We look at the usage here, and more recently, he has been working as a starter. He's gone four, four and two-thirds, and now five and two-thirds in his last three appearances. So uh, what are we looking at with Springs? What type of of ceiling does he bring, and in what types of league should we be interested? Let me sort by player name. And then look by appearance. Uh, one reason I do this, I'd look at the per appearance chart uh, because it, there is a big difference in what your stuff does in in larger uh, in larger samples or in, in, in when you have to go longer. So uh, early in the season when he was throwing uh, 16, 15 pitches per appearance, he was regularly had a stuff plus over 100. Um, now that he's throwing... Uh, 30 to 40, uh, you know, so his uh, 31 pitch appearance on the third, he had a 95 stuff plus. His 57 pitch appearance the next one, he had a 92 stuff plus. Um, but it was back up to 107 and 102 the last two. What is has been true all along is really good command. So I believe uh, the command, the stuff kind of, I think, goes ebbs and flows a little bit with how far he has to go into the game and how he uh, doles his pitches out. Um, Yeah, let me look at his per pitch data now. Is this like Bruce Zimmerman with one fewer pitch right now? Uh Uh-huh. Let's see here. It's Jeffrey Springs, change up, uh, 109 stuff plus, slider, 101, forcing fastball, 94. So bad fastball guy who locates them well. Bad fastball guy who locates them well and doesn't throw it 
excessively. There was like 40. He almost throws 54% with the changeup. That's crazy. Yeah, he used to throw the slider more. I wonder if that'll change now that he's going through these longer outings. Uh, but I'm I'm, uh, I'm intrigued not just because he's a Ray. I'm intrigued because there's two seemingly good non-fastball pitches here, and the usage has been at a level that, hey, it's good enough to get wins, and damn it, we need wins. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and he's starting those games. It's not even going to follow, but there is a little bit of the Drew Rasmussen problem where they are kind of limiting him to 15 to 20 batters faced. So it's going to be tough to to squeeze some wins out of this one, I think. It's not what I wanted to hear. <laughs> Can you say something else? Uh, <laughs> God, did you just pick him up? No, but in, in leagues where he's available, I'm definitely targeting him. Well, I, I mean, at AL only, I think really, uh, really go for it. Uh, 15 team leagues. I think I would like to pick him up as a two starter. Yeah. On and off, maybe with two starts or streaming opportunities. Because with two starters, you just get two chances at that win, right? So maybe one game, he only pitches three innings, four innings. The other game, he gets to five and, and gets that win, you know? Um, I do think that the risk that they leave him out there for like a seven earned run appearance is pretty low, right? That's, yeah, that's how many teams, how many teams are in that group? Right, this isn't just the Rays. Like this, these are other teams that use their pitchers in a way that gives us more confidence in how they're actually going to fare because they're not going to sit out there and wear it. You need a. I mean, I think what you need is other bolt guys in the pen, right? Like you need a, a whole team that where you know you've got multiple bulk options for every game, basically, right? So some teams are just like. Uh, we don't have that, <laughs> but the Rays are like, yeah, you know, we, we throw Jeffrey Springs out there, then maybe Ryan Yarborough, uh, you know, who might have been the starter tomorrow, he can pitch tonight, and we change things around. Or Josh Fleming can go a couple innings, right? I, all right, I'm in on Springs. Twenty seven percent K rate, seven percent mm-hmm. walk rate. It's good enough to play in those deeper mixed leagues. I am keeping an eye on the schedule, though. As far as I think, I, I generally agree. You know, anybody, you know, the average uh, stuff plus for a starter is 97. So he's keeping it around there or better. The command uh, looks really good and has for long enough to believe in it. Um, there's a three-pitch pitch mix. Uh, the, the the fastball isn't even, isn't like, there are fastballs that have 80 stuff plus and 70 stuff plus. You know what I mean? Like this is, it's not one of the worst fastballs in the league or anything. So is that then Martin Perez? Isn't he one of those guys? <laughs> do we want to do this it's actually it's it's good for comedy a little bit um let's uh now do sort by pitch name for scene oh i want the guys with the worst fastballs who've pitched really well so far this season because martin perez has been amazing <laughs> and if you have him you're just scared to use him in anything but an easy matchup because you're you're sure that there's going to be oh. some crooked numbers coming. Oh, I'll, I'll do starters. How about this? Jacob yeah. Junis. Okay. Uh, 38-7. <laughs> but he's only thrown 14. So Zach Thompson has thrown 90 at a 41 stuff plus. Great. Eric Fetty thrown 40 at a 48 stuff plus. Oh, Matthew Libertor's first 16 fastballs registered at a 48 stuff plus. That's ugly. Here we go. This is this is something I have noticed, and it, I don't know how nervous to make it. Noah Syndergaard, mm. 52 stuff plus, 131 four-seamers thrown. Joe Musgrove, 52. Patrick Corbin, 53. That not, one was That probably, one's not surprising. No, not surprising. But the two before <laughs> that, especially Musgrove, I think that's pretty surprising that he'd be that bad because he's been great going back to the beginning of last season. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he, he throws a bunch of pitches, right? So I think he probably... Uh, what it, what you can see with this is he locates the, the pitch well. So I think he just probably is very careful about when he uses the four seam and he locates it well. And so he doesn't get screwed as much. Oh, but Cindergard, 50% fastball usage. That's surprising to me. And and the numbers don't like it. And and you know, you like you can use you can use raw numbers, like the fastball velo is not back. 
No, he's you know at ninety four. I mean, he's that's average now. Three and a half ticks below where he was at his peak. Four ticks below. Yeah. So, uh, I I personally think Noah Syndergaard's a, a sell high. I don't, and I just happen to have him in leagues where I can't even trade. So, but yeah, if I so could you, trade, I would sell him high. So you're not worried about the the Syndergaard finds extra velo and gets the K rate up scenario, really. You're just saying, eh, this is probably just a a lighter version of the guy he used to be and, and maybe it's a high threes low fours era with a, a decent whip but the k rate's going to be below average so you're going to be disappointed if there is any sort of second act for the humidor you know, <laughs> um i i think that this is the type of pitcher that would struggle from it now the uh, jeff zimmerman had some research that said the first three appearances back from injury um are basically predict the rest of your velocity for the year uh his first three starts back he was sitting 94 94 5 or something it's only gotten worse since yeah almost seems more likely if he's going to get some velo back it's going to be after an off season yeah yeah uh yeah uh, and like you can see it in the strikeout rate, you know, like it's not a good strikeout rate. No, he's no, he's surviving on a fair amount of good, like okay pitches, and uh, he you know he has good command. That's something that when he was a power pitcher, he was he was so good because he he had the power and the command. But now uh, he's more he has more in common with JT Brewbreaker than uh, you want to know. Oh, that that. Sorry about that. I feel, uh, I feel mean toward J, uh, JT Brubaker right now. No, I, that reaction. Brubaker is actually throwing harder these days. Uh, there's JT Brubaker's uh, fastball, four seam fastball, 65 stuff plus. Uh, sandwich in between Jose Quintana's 65 and Herman Marquez's 65. Although uh, Colorado ones should come with a little bit of uh, an asterisk, I guess. Dakota Hudson's here. Michael Pineda's here. Am I surprising you? Like the only one was Musgrove that really surprised me. Yeah. Like Rod Rodriguez is here. Ranger Suarez is here. And David Peterson is here. Uh, Patrick Sandoval. But we already knew that he didn't have a good fastball, right? Like we knew, we knew that his his whole thing was surprising changeup, four good pitches. Uh, I mean, two good secondaries and, you know, you know, to keep away with the fastball. Yeah, I mean, having a slider and a change that he throws as often as he does and a curveball, like, I'm pretty content to bet on that mix. It almost, it it makes me wonder, too, if the Angels can look at Syndergaard and and say, let's just dial down the fastball usage some more because he's got plenty of pitches, too. Like, Syndergaard could throw other stuff and maybe that's his path to getting the strikeout rate up and maintaining something close to his current his his overall stuff rough stuff plus would go up too right because he'd just be using less of this of this bad pitch yeah it's not hopeless but you're just kind of pushing for an adjustment and you're not sure if it's gonna be made or not right right you're 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 in the pitching coach's hands also like you know he didn't throw any breaking balls at all when he came back in that for that one start last year um and so is he like you know sort of tender on the breaking balls yeah he's definitely used to throw more breaking balls than he does now right now and uh, as well so i'm wondering you know maybe he starts to feel better and starts to feel better with the elbow and can push the slider usage you know to 25 percent and the and the curveball to 10 to 12 percent that would be in line with what he's done in the past a little bit more aggressive but he has to be more aggressive because the fastball is not as good as it used to be I hope he makes the adjustments because it's more fun when he's pitching. Well, he well. won't. He won't with a three ERA. So there might no, have to yeah. be some bad stuff that comes first, and then the secondaries start going up. Yeah, you're gonna have to absorb uh, a few bad. Look at outings. the bat, though. By the way, zips three nine seven rest of season. Bat says four five six. It says a lot, and it's not the number you'd expect to see in that space. But it starts to make sense the more that you actually break it down. We need to go. Uh, Before we go, a quick schedule update with the Memorial Day holiday coming up on Monday. No show at the beginning of the week. We will have a show uh, next Thursday. So only one episode coming out next week. We will have a a 3-0 show as well. So two episodes, Go grill some brats or some veggie brats if that's what you're into. Go have some beer or some non-alcoholic beer if that's what you're into. Maybe even even like a a, a spritzer... you know, like something with lime and ginger or, you know, 
it's been a really hard week couple yes. of weeks or just for obviously the, a ton of terrible things happening in the world yeah. right now so take the time away and do whatever you can do unplug Hug your children go to a beach if you can go to a body of water don't doom scroll oh my God, i felt doom myself doom scrolling so excessively and it's it hurts and it sucks and it's just one of those things anything, not helpful you know anything I got a, you can do i got a list of things like how to talk to your children about what's what's happening and one of the things that it said on there was don't watch the news. <laughs> that was like, yeah, you're right. It's kind of, it's kind of true. I mean, that that's just unplugging, right? It's, so, yeah, advice to parents as well. But just oh reset God. for your own uh, well-being and sanity, because I know it, it's look, it's hard. No matter what you do, it's hard to get up every day in the face of bad news and just do whatever it is you do. And whether that's dropping your kids off at school, whether you're a teacher, whether you make baseball podcasts. It weighs on you throughout the day. So just do whatever you have to do to feel better. And, and my heart goes out to everybody, everybody in Texas, because, uh, but especially parents of elementary school, like I've, my kids are in elementary school and I was just like, uh, I, I can't, you know? But the thing is, there's work to be done and the work can only be done if you're in, an, in the headspace to do it, you know? Like it can, mm-hmm. you can't really get hopeful work done in despair and so you know i know in this household uh, we're working uh on some things and um hoping to help some campaigns um you know who will hopefully do something about this because i think something needs to be done i don't think um pointing to past fail policies and saying all these things didn't work and just throwing up your hands is the answer man (laughs) no it's it's more people die of gun violence in this country than any other country and just throwing up the hands and being like what could we do (laughs) it's not enough for me anymore so no no a lot of the alternative solutions if you want to call them that are just pure galaxy brain stuff too we need to do the simple things that would help make everyone safer it's just Go look at a graph of gun violence by, you know, states that have more uh, more things in place, more restrictions in place. Restrictions are possible. Look yeah, at the global at the numbers, global too. Yeah. It's, not, it's not a population thing. It's a volume of guns thing. It's not hard to understand yeah. that. But do what you need to do to feel better over these next few days. Take the time to recharge if you can. We are going to do that, and we are going to be back with you next week. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.